the last couple of weeks has been such a precursor because, I mean, la last week I'm like, Lord, like, this, this, the language that he's giving for this season feels so clear, but really sharp. So, so, so hear that. It's really clear. It's really sharp. It's like, but it's not sharp because I want to try to make it sharp. It's sharp just by default because of the season we're in. You know, God is going to get very acute with us, very specific, clear, precise, right? He, he's not going to mince words. It, the church has minced words long enough. I've minced words long enough, but he never minces words, right? Jesus never apologizes for calling us higher and onward no matter what it costs us. Uh, and so, you know, last week and this week have just been so fresh, like, I don't even want to speak a message like this without my my own heart oiled. I don't want to I don't want to speak a message like this without our hearts oiled. It's like the last two weeks God's oiling our hearts, right? Just preparing, softening our hearts. Right? And how is he doing it? The same way he's always done it. He he melts the heart with love. The fire of his love, the fire in his eyes, it's not a fire of wrath for his adversaries it is. But it's the fire of jealous love burning in his eyes for a church like Laodicea, <laughs> right? And it was the love of Jesus that moved him to say the things he said to Laodicea. Do you believe that? Do you believe he was angry? Do you believe he was jealous? Big difference. <laughs> his disposition with Laodicea was, was jealousy, right? His name is jealous, jealousy. He says, I see everything. I see your entire condition. I see the thoughts and intents of your heart. And I ain't leaving you there. I know where you've been. I know where you are, but I'm not leaving you in either place. I'm calling you upward, onward, and out of where you've been, where you are. We're going on, sweetie. <laughs> like speaking to the bride, right? It, he's speaking to his wife. He's not being a jerk. He's being the jealous lover of her soul, the Lord, right? The everlasting God, the one who formed his church out of his sufferings at Calvary, right? Did he not prove his love for us? Did he not prepare for such a word to come to the church at the cross? Did he not oil us, right, and melt our hearts at the cross? I mean, that's that's part of what he's doing, so... He's just getting our hearts ready, but you know it's a it's a it's a vulnerable season we're in. And I just I'll just recap. We'll take another ten or fifteen. Um, yeah, it's a vulnerable season because the Lord again he's he's not going to leave us where we were, right? Listen to Michael's testimony. Does he leave his people where they've been? <laughs> no, 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 no. Does he leave you where you are, as comfortable as you may be? As in order as you may be, does he leave you where you are, as mature as you may feel, right? As fastened in the word of God and paired, it doesn't matter. He doesn't leave us where we are. Ephesians 4 is unto a mature corporate church globally. And anyone who has an ear to hear, let him hear, Jesus says, because the trajectory of what I'm doing in this age is bringing the church to full maturity. I never leave my people where they were or where they are. And you know, if we want religion and churchianity, 
well, we'll just stay the same. Get really bored, have no influence in culture, no divine revelation, no breakthroughs, and we'll lose our youth. But if we're after what he died for, which is called the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> it has nothing to do with this earth. It's entirely contrary to this age, the wisdom of this age, right? It's entirely contrary to it, and it's invading and breaking in, and he says, this is so violent that I need violent people to take hold of it. He says, it's a torrent, and it's Acts chapter 2. He poured out his spirit, released his kingdom into this age. It was like a flood that came into the earth, and he says, it's going to take violence to get a hold of this thing, and it's going to take violence in your personal life and your corporate life to really get a hold of this and flow with it. Because it's a raging river of his presence, of his word, of his activity, of his plan. Right? And he says, it's new wine. He says, humanity's never seen this before. This is a new era. When I die and pour out my spirit, I'm going to pour new wine into the earth. And guess what? The entire earth is in an old wineskin. And it can't even hold what I'm going to pour out in Acts chapter 2. It can't contain it. The most religious among men can't contain this wine. If they even try to contain this wine in the condition they're in, they'll burst. That's serious. But he says, I've got great news. Your wineskin has never worked, and it can't work. And I'm going to pour out wine and give you a new wineskin to hold the wine. So you don't burst, so that you retain the wine throughout the church age, and it gets very aged, and toxic, and potent, and effective, so that it matures as you mature, and gets really, really potent and strong, and at the end of this age, the mature church is going to express the matured, aged wine in the kingdom. That's serious. I know, I know, like, you could say, what does this really have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. And there's practical ways. I'm, I'm just giving pointers today, being quick, recapping. But the way into this thing is entirely practical. And one of the greatest cautions in my own life as a prophetic believer and a charismatic Christian, Joseph this wineskin is not a new revelation. I don't need a dream. I don't need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I don't need a visitation of an angel. I don't need to hear from God. I need a humble heart that trembles at the Word of God that's written, that's been preserved throughout the ages of the church and of, of the believing people of God. I need a humble, contrite heart that believes that this word carries divine authority and that Jesus won't even judge me at the last day. His word will. So I'm just going to preach to me a few more minutes and you can listen, but Jesus won't even judge me. His word will. What is written will analyze Joseph Robinson's life when he stands before the Lord, when the Lord returns. When I receive my, my reward, or my lack thereof. Uh, that's tough. But listen, this is the Bible. This is what we're, this is why we even aim at what we're aiming at. 
It has no meaning if there's not a real purpose that I'm accountable to divine authority right here, 66 books, I'm accountable to this in, in bending my life to it and saying, Holy Spirit, breathe on it, empower me by grace to obey what's written. And there's other things we have to obey that he speaks to us that aren't written in the Bible, but that are consistent with the Bible. So I'm not, I'm not, um, uh, I'm differentiating the two. But in the charismatic prophetic church, we've got to understand in return to the divine authority of what's written. Because in here is the wineskin where all the powerful spiritual dimensions that Jesus promised to display in his believing people, right? It's a practical way of life. We do it every Wednesday night. We are peering into God's plan, his wineskin that will hold glory. So we're looking at the future together. We can't think, I, I've hit this before, but we can't say, well, there's 20 or 30 of us here. We're just in Carmel, Maine. And we're far detached from all the big things God's doing. And we, we get these grandiose images of elsewhere. And God says, you're missing the whole point, son. Right? If we take heed, if we take heed with an honest and sincere heart, he will do what he said he will do. So we're taking heed. So in the midst of taking heed to the word of God, right, in these sound doctrine groups, in continuing to revisit what he said, sure, I love hearing what he's saying. And Jesus said, you can hear what the Spirit's saying if you have a hearing ear. But he also says, I spoke. It says divine authority. This will scan your life when you stand before me. Can you hear this? Right? Are you, are you at a distance, Joseph, and just kind of waiting and, and speculating my word? Or are you taking heed and hearing my word, responding in my grace, being responsive to what's written? So... This is really what we're doing, and we're going to continue to talk about a religious spirit, traditions of men, forms of godliness that have no power. And so in this season, you know, I don't want to get into the message. I'm about to go there, so we'll stop. But I just said a bunch of stuff. So anyway, take a time. Um, just precursor. We're going to look at the future together, right? The future where Jesus will return, <laughs> right? Where the church will be fully matured and let that touch us in the here and now and call us way onward and upward and see the practicality because we're doing it Wednesday nights. We're saying, I don't want to do church my way, your way, our way. We want to do church his way. And his plan hasn't changed and if it has, who's got the big revelation about the new, the new wineskin? He says, no, it's unmistakable, unavoidable, Joseph. It's written. Here it is. The administration of the church that he's building. That's profound. So if you get in your head a lot Wednesday nights and it starts to maybe frustrate you or bore you, just remember, this is his master plan of constructing a new humanity 
that will become the bride of Christ, right? And by the way, we're contending for revival in this thing. In the future, revival isn't a fall over fest. I've been in those meetings, and I love them. But we can't be, he's not leaving us there. It's not fall over and get up and stay the same. Fall over, get up, fall over, get up. Uh, get a ton of prophetic words and never walk in them. Right? Get a revelation from the Holy Spirit and it never really changes you. I'm the same man in five years as I, as I stand before you today. That's the result of religion, traditions of men, and forms of godliness that have no power. And so in this season, we have got to be responsive as a church family, right? Not unresponsive, responsive, pliable, moldable, shapeable, because we're his craftsmanship, his handiwork. He's putting his hand on us, right? And he doesn't want us to have all the right answers and just be agreeing with doctrines. He wants it in our life, Wesley tells us all the time that doctrine's not sound unless it's visible in my life. That doctrine is about transformation, not conformity. We don't want to be a bunch of conformists. Wednesday night is not about conformity and you getting the right answer on your lips. Because in Matthew 15, Jesus said, hey, I've got a serious dilemma with my generation, with my people. And he says, here it is. You have all the right answers. You understand the doctrines. You understand, you don't understand, you know the law and the prophets in your head, and you got it on your lips, but it's not in your heart. And so your worship unto me is considered rote. And rote in Greek means the mechanical repetition of words without regard to their meaning. It's in my mouth, but it's not in my heart. And he says your worship for me consists of tradition learned by rote. He says, none of this is in your heart, Pharisees. It's all in your mouth. It's all in your head. And the scary part is it's correct, but it's wrong on the heart level. That's religion. It's correct, but it's wrong. It's correct, but it's antichrist in nature because it says no to letting my life be bent into it. Broke, broken on the rock. <laughs> Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And Jesus said, hey, fall on the rock or it's going to fall on you. But either way, you're going to be broken to pieces. And that's not a harsh word. It's, I'm not letting anything stay the way it is because my kingdom's coming and I died for a bride and she's going to look like what I died for her to look like. <laughs> Am I going too long? Okay. She's going to look like what I died for her to look like. And the bride isn't just miracle signs and wonders, Joseph. I lived that way for years, missed the whole point. The bride isn't just prophetic, miracle signs and wonders, intense spiritual atmosphere meetings, house of prayer. It's not all it is. The bride is Ephesians 5. It's marriages and families that are truly redeemed and restored in order to reflect Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. It's absolutely practical and earthly in its initial view, but it's filled with divine revelation and anointing and power and wine and oil. And it expresses something completely not of this age. And it attracts the world and testifies 
to the powers of the air like nothing else can. Not my prayers, not my prophetic words, not my spiritual anointed meetings. Nothing can do to the powers of the air what marriage and family can do when it's transformed into his design. Nothing can do it. Don't be fooled. I was fooled for years on this issue. And I'm going to be really honest. It's, it's getting into these groups. I've been through these groups a few times now. I'm in them again because I want more. And God didn't leave me where I was in an immature mindset, simply charismatic without any foundation in the Bible. Because that was me. I was like, I just want to see people fall over, prophesy, healings, miracles, tears, joy, the wiggles, you name it, that's what I want. It's insufficient. It's immaturity. And just bluntly, it is. It's drinking milk. Right? The church matured is not 1 Corinthians 12. It's Ephesians 5. Right? What's the great onslaught in Ephesians 6? What's it against? Ephesians 5. Right? He te Paul says, hey, here's a profound mystery. Let me tell you what it is. Marriage and families according to God's design. And by the way, the greatest onslaught of the powers of the air is against marriage and families according to God's design. What's what you see it, you know, with all due respect, the LGBTQ dynamic. And that's that's tough to bring up because we're not judging it. We're contending for salvation, for people to be redeemed and restored. God's not going to leave many. God won't leave any of them where they are. He'll give all men a chance to repent. And his love is going to call to that community. That's just one piece. But LGBTQ is the polar opposite of Ephesians 5. And it's the, one of the primary assaults in this generation. It, we are in the last days. Jesus said it's going to be like Noah's generation, right? Noah's generation, there was tremendous sexual confusion. Jude talks about it, right? And we see the stories, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus said it's going to be like that. There's going to be tremendous confusion in the minds of men, and the wisdom of this age is going to trend toward antichrist dynamics, that are going to be very obvious, and they're obvious because they're the polar opposite of his design from the beginning. And so all the more reason for us to say yes to this and become his habitation that looks like what he died for, right? Because we got to have more than words for that community. you got to have a lot more than words for that community. My words aren't going to turn it. We need to express something that provokes the conscience of men that's unavoidable, Right, that, that is known that there is something different about this community group called the church. There's something different. And when I'm around them, I'm not only discomforted in my error and in my broken life, but I'm provoked to say that has to be the way life should be. Is not Maine the way life should be? Let's, can we believe God for something in this land that's the way life should be? Listen, I, that's, that could be a cheesy prophecy, but I declared that a few years ago. I believe it's God. I believe there's something coming forth in this region that is going to exemplify his design and be a reference point for many churches. Not because we're superior, but simply because there's grace to say yes to this and become his habitation and not just talk about it. Not just be spiritual, but be super earthly. Natural. I mean, all the mix. Jesus says, hey, here's my design, right? And it looks so normal. It's like, it can't just be that. Like, it's got to be more. I mean, what about the power and the glory and the stars and the, you know, all the 
sparkles and gold in the air. And what about all that? Well, that's really awesome. But what's a lot more awesome is that my marriage is truly established according to what Jesus died for so that my marriage can reflect the great mystery. Right? The great mystery isn't the next revelation I bring forth to the church. The great mystery is me and my wife bending to the Word of God and embodying in our life together something that speaks of itself beyond words and provokes the conscience of men. Do you believe that? I do. I'm, this thing's hitting me hard in this season. Right? And I got nothing to hide. I'm not in sin. But I'm, I'm seeking counsel and wisdom because I need to be a better man, a better husband. Yeah, I'm a leader, but I need my, my marriage strengthened. And speaking for myself, I need to be a better husband. And so this stuff's hitting me hard. I've been in a journey. I haven't been to a men's encounter in quite a few years, but I've been in my own little encounter, God dealing with my conscience, my heart, my character, right? And it's in the light. It's in the light here before you all. But, but I'm seeking counsel from elders from our mother church in New Hampshire. And that's good. <laughs> and you might need to seek counsel from somebody here. And that's good. But listen, don't resist the Holy Spirit in this season. Don't leave yourself where you are because he's not. Don't. And be responsive, be pliable, be humble. And, you know, we don't want to be stubborn or unrepentant in this season. That's the great stronghold of a religious spirit in Romans chapter 2. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. Now, he said this to unbelievers, but he said, you're storing up wrath for yourself. <laughs> he says, repent, believe the gospel. But the principle applies to us who do believe. And it's in James. The, it's in James, and it's all through the New Testament. We're going to look at this. What does a religious spirit look like? And if there's any vestige of it in my life, man, it's got to be denounced utterly. Slay it. Cut its throat. No religion. No pretense. No hypocrisy. No more. We're not in that day. We were in it. It's over. Long done and over with. Jesus is bringing his church to maturity, and a religious spirit cannot get you there. You will, if you stay where you are, if God's giving grace to take you where you're not and you stay where you are, you will watch God move and not really even participate. It'll be an observance of his workings in these last days. We will observe. Most of Jesus' generation observed the Messiah in his ministry. And only few had an ear to hear what the Spirit was saying. Only few had an ear to hear his teaching. Because they were used to hearing the teaching of the Pharisees, a religious formality with no power. It's a form of godliness. It's correct but wrong. And Jesus said, let me show you what's righteous. Let me show you the new and living way that my flesh opened up for you. When I was torn on the cross, I tore down religious strongholds at the cross, and I modeled a new and living way that you're all called to. And here's the way. Here are my apostles and prophets that, that wrote this thing. Those apostles and prophets, especially. Hear the authority of my teaching. That's what he means by that. He doesn't mean, hey, I got a lot of prophetic words that I'm going to share with you. They're awesome and cool. I hope you have an ear to hear it. He says, I hope you have an ear to hear my, the way of my kingdom. Right? So, there we go. Cool. Yeah, just... Listen, no one's exempt from this. 
I'm not, you're not. We're together in this thing. No one, we're not against one another. There's no pointing fingers. The only one who has authority to point a finger is God. And Jesus said, hey, he has a finger and he does point it, but it's always love that points the finger. He's the son of the father in 2 John. I love this name of Jesus. He's the son of the father in truth and love. Jesus never loves you at the expense of his word because love and truth are married in him. He's the full expression of love and truth. He never speaks truth to you at the expense of his love either. You see that? He never loves you at the expense of truth. He never changes. He's faithful. He remains the same. You got to change. He never changes. I got to change. I got to repent. I got to renew my mind because he's not changing his plan. It's written. He says it's fixed. <laughs> so, amen. We're getting ready to respond to God in this season on a deeper level. There's grace, corporate grace available. I haven't felt the strength of his grace like this in so long where he's He's near to you. He's near to us to transform us, not, not conform us. He says, don't be conformed, be transformed. We don't want conformists in a religious, yes, I agree. But the heart says, eh, I'm going to stay the same. I'm comfortable. I'm not interested in that. I'm happy with this, that, and the other. It's okay. No, he says, be transformed. He says, let my Holy Spirit and my word get in your business, Joseph. And be happy about it. Be redeemed. Be restored. Become useful to me in these times. Amen? So he wants to bring this church to maturity. He's getting us there. And I feel like some of this stuff, he's just going to point out some hindrances that are cultural for us. It's not about one or the other. No one's pointing a finger. Listen, we're all susceptible because it's in the air and it's over the land. And so he's going to uproot every plant which his heavenly father has not planted among the soil of his people. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to uproot every pharisaical thing out of my people. That's why he spoke the way he did to the seven churches of Revelation. He says, judgment begins first at the house of God, right? And in Revelation, we see the order. He speaks to the church before he shakes the earth. Hebrews chapter 12 says the same thing. Once more, right? I'll shake all things. But he's going to speak to the church first because the church has to be ready to stand in that hour when he does what's necessary to draw multitudes to his son. We got to be ready. Our marriages have to be ready. Our families have to be ready so we don't shake when the world shakes. We still haven't even hit this message yet, which is, that's okay. We weren't to do that today, but amen. Okay.